Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Broadcasting from the Morton studio today, I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to talk about reading a soil test. Now, I realize that may not be, or it may not sound like, super fun to you. But here's the reason why it's so fun to me. Because when I look at the cost of fertilizer today, um, well, as long as I haven't had a heart attack and died, uh, I'm going to go, I got to do something here. Something's got to change. So our whole point and what we've been talking about here for a while on the show is just because fertilizer prices are high, that doesn't mean we should just automatically cut. What we got to do is try to figure out what pays and what doesn't pay and what's going to help you along those lines is having good soil testing. So we're going to talk about that throughout the show today. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening in your farm other than soil testing, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So let me start with this. The number one thing when we are talking about soil testing at all is we want you to have complete soil analysis done. And by complete, what I'm really talking about here is I want you to get soil pH. I want you to have cation exchange capacity on there. Get your base saturation tested. Make sure you're getting sodium and hydrogen as part of that base saturation test. Make sure you're getting soluble salts on there, excess lime, and then the micronutrients like zinc, copper, boron, manganese, and iron, along with, of course, as everybody's going to test, N, P, and K. And then don't forget about the secondary nutrients as well, sulfur, calcium, and mag- magnesium. And when I go through all that, I so I just gave you a big list of things there, and I realized you probably didn't write that down. But I, I would say if you've got any questions about what we would recommend, just let us know. Be more than happy to talk to you anytime. And when it comes to this complete soil analysis, why this is so important is so we can help you figure out, okay, what do you really need and what do you not need? So let's put it this way. If like on our farm where I'm going for 250 bushel corn and 80 bushel beans, I've got to have at a bare minimum 4% base saturation K, but really I'd like six. Okay. If I've got fields that are, I'm showing two, Well, right there, I can promise you an investment in potassium, even at today's prices, it's going to pay off pretty well. So those are the kind of things we're trying to identify. All right, what's good, what's not? What could we mine out of the soil a little bit this year because fertilizer prices are high? And what can't we mine out because there just isn't enough there? So all super important things. We also will talk just a little bit today about ratios like phosphorus and zinc phosphorus and copper, things like that. So anyway, if you've got any questions, just let us know. I'll be more than happy to go through that with you today as we talk through soil tests. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, uh, first one here comes from, from Ronnie, who says, I've got rye grass in my coastal Bermuda grass fields. Just wondering which products you might prefer that I take a look at for that situation. Yeah, so Pastora would be best to kill ryegrass out of Bermuda grass. 
Uh, Plateau could potentially work. It's not going to be probably as good as Pastora. And then if you wanted to try something pre, you could get a little bit of suppression out of pendimethylin. Uh, Prowl is the name brand that we use in soybeans. But anyway, you've, you've got a few options to take ryegrass out of coastal Bermuda grass fields. Okay, kind of related question, although I don't know what kind of grass we've got here. This is from Jeff, and he said, I, I just heard you guys talking about foxtail recently, and you didn't comment on treatment of grazing pasture control. Uh, if you've got foxtail out in your pasture, what would work? Um yeah, we usually don't talk about it because it's typically not a big deal. Foxtail is an annual grass, and so what we will typically say is don't even spray it. Instead, just let your grass grow taller. Use rotational grazing so you don't get the grass quite chewed down so far. And make sure you have really good fertility, especially even now going into the fall. The ground hasn't frozen like in our area. So now is not a bad time to fertilize that pasture if you soil test, just like our topic today is reading a soil test. Do you need potassium out there? Do you need some phosphorus? Do you need some zinc or copper or something else? I mean, we know you need nitrogen and sulfur. I mean, those are a for sure. So if you want to put some ammonium sulfate out or, I mean, just get some nitrogen and sulfur out there, that's going to be a good thing. But my whole point is this. You want to try to help that grass outcompete the annual foxtail grass that you would view as a weed. So otherwise, it, it, it goes right back to what we were just talking about in that last question. Pastora and Plateau, uh, maybe a pre-emerge treatment of pendimethylin, things like that can potentially be used. you got to look at grazing restrictions and the type of grass, that the type of perennial grass that's in your pasture and all that kind of thing. But I'm just saying there are a few options. I just prefer to stay away from those. I'd rather just help that grass out in your pasture do better. Oh, one last thing. Early in the spring, use Rise Up Smart Grass. Use a gibberellic acid product is what I'm trying to say because that will help accelerate the perennial grass growth that's out in your pasture. And then that will allow you to choke out that annual grass better. Hey, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Uh, I get this comment in from Craig up in New York. He said, thank you for your show. I'm starting out from scratch farming corn, soybeans, wheat, and hay in western New York. And your show's been greatly helpful looking at all aspects of soil nutrients, soil pH, and plant health. I've got a bachelor's degree in ag tech, minor in crop science and soil science, and even though I've got a college education, you're keeping me up to speed on some new farming techniques and helping to choose the right things to put on my He ground. mentioned college education. When I went to college, my dad said, well, when you go there, you're just learning how to learn. Don't expect you're actually going to know anything when you come back. And that's kind of the way I view it to some degree. You have a lot to learn when you get on any job, especially farming. We'll be right back to talk about reading a soil test on today's Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. 
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at PowerOverWeeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We are going to talk about one of the things we get asked more about than anything else, reading a soil test. And I remember back, goodness, that had to be, 10 years ago, probably at Commodity Classic, and Brian and I were going to to do a talk at Commodity Classic. They had asked us, hey, why don't you guys come speak? We'd love to have you. And and we said, great, here's what we want to talk about. And one of the things was reading a soil test. And they said, oh, boy, guys, that sounds kind of, don't don't take this the wrong way. It sounds kind of boring. I don't know. Our crowd is is really looking for something exciting. And we said, well, would you like would you like your crowd to make more money? Oh, yeah, they're always looking for ways they could make more money, get higher yields. We said, well, this is a pretty good one. And they said, okay, well, just don't make it a long talk. Maybe talk about some other exciting things and, and keep that soil test talk to uh, to a minimum. And that year they did a survey at the end of Commodity Classic, and that was the, the session people were most excited about was that soil test uh, session. And, and it's easy to understand why. It's a tough decision knowing exactly what you're going to put on and, and how to feed this next crop when you don't know exactly what's going to happen in the next growing season. So you have to be prepared for anything. So we're going to talk about reading a soil test today, taking your calls and questions as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. And of course, you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head over to Michigan first. Our friend Stephanie Zelenko is there with AgroLiquid. Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, so we get a year where crop prices are good, and of course what happens? Fertilizer prices go up, and a lot of farmers look at, oh, no, what do I do? How do I still make money? And so, of course, they want to read the soil test well and understand, okay, what can I get by with cutting? Where can I invest a few extra dollars to get a good return? Because crop prices are still pretty good. Where do you start with farmers that are looking for great recommendations? So we always start, like you said, with that soil test, and you know, it, it changes from year to year of what guys are interested in, again, based upon those commodity prices and your fertilizer input prices, but it all goes back to that soil test and understanding that or working with someone who does understand that. 
I know whenever farmers talk to us about, okay, I need to make sure every fertilizer dollar counts. We talk about, well, let's find different fertility sources that will actually be effective getting into the crop. And I know that's something AgriLiquid's focused on. What should growers be looking for in that regard to get better efficiency out of their fertilizer? So there's a number of things that we'll look on the soil test. Um, and the first thing is always balance. So we want to make sure that all of the nutrients out there are in balance, specifically those cations. And then we can look at addressing the actual fertility component behind it. And, you know, that's where agroliquid steps in. We're not going to, you know, provide soil amendments and balance that soil. But once you have a soil that's in good condition, then we can come back with different fertility components, look at that phosphorus, potassium, and actually feed the crop for what it needs that growing season and then allow those dry applications to help with that that long-term soil balancing. We get to look at a lot of soil tests here at Ag PhD, and one of the things that we'll see from time to time, we'll have growers that are getting really good yields that say, you know, I've kind of hit a plateau here, and I've got good levels of N, P, K, sulfur. What else can I do? And it's often a micronutrient that's running short. What are you seeing, Stephanie? You get to look at a lot of tests and work with a lot of growers. With micronutrients, if you uh, get questions around that, do you recommend blended products? Do you recommend targeting individual micros? Where do you start there? Well, I start when I look at those soil tests to figure out exactly what's low. And as we're pushing for higher yields, we're pulling more of those micronutrients from the soil. So we're seeing more and more of those become deficient or lacking on that soil test. And the biggest ones I see, uh, boron probably is the number one deficiency across the country, but manganese and zinc also are pretty high up there. And I'll just look across that soil test and see what I have. And in most cases, I'm going to recommend a blended product just because you're going to usually have more than one of those micros that are low and having a bunch of nutrients in combination is just going to help improve that overall uptake. But there will be exceptions to that. You know, I may add some additional zinc if that's the focus, but I'm still going to start with a blended product like Micro 500. All right. Here's the other thing. And I, I know I've talked to to a lot of different growers out there and quite a few that have had good success with micros say they really like that planting time application. A lot of guys say they're running in a two by two just because they, they might run a little higher rate than, than others if they're getting good yields. But what do you think about foliar application? Are we missing the boat here if we don't get that micronutrient application made with the planter? I like it best at planting just because it's going to help get that crop off to an early start. But there's also plenty of opportunity, you know, foliar. Soybeans respond very, very well to foliar applications. Uh, here in Michigan and many parts of the country, we're really low in manganese. And I found that you need to actually apply some at planting and foliar to be able to address that. And so I think it depends upon the crop you're growing in the area you're at. But there is still opportunity um, if you miss that planting time to come back in season with that. Yeah, it's, it's uh, never a good idea to give up on a crop. We saw that this year with guys that had frost early and ended up with really good yields in the end. We saw just all kinds of challenges throughout the growing season. But I know this, your first comment, Stephanie, when you said if we've got balance in the soil, we're in a pretty good spot. And, and if, if you're paying attention to the soil test, getting things in balance and feeding that crop, it's a lot easier to be successful. What, what did you have for a year up in Michigan? Well, we're still harvesting in Michigan where we had a couple week rain delay, but yields um, for as dry as it was across the majority of the state, yields are coming in better than we anticipated. So we have a number of happy growers out there. That's awesome. Uh, we're talking with Stephanie Zelenko here with AgriLiquid. Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too.
Let's head out to Central South Dakota. Got a friendly Lubers with Extreme Ag with us right now. Lee, how you doing? I'm doing good. All right, we're talking about reading a soil test, and I know that's something that, that you and your brother work on a lot, just like I do with my brother, trying to figure out, okay, what can we do here to do a little better? How big a deal did that play out this year on fields that you had the fertility all right versus maybe some newer ground or ground that you just picked up? Uh, that was actually the most important key, uh, even in a drought year, fertility. Uh, balanced fertility, managing your fertility, hands down, best return on investment. Yeah, I know when you get hot and you get dry and that plant is trying to pull nutrients in with water, uh, better fertility in the soil means less water you got to pull in. So it does make sense that, that you're doing a little better that way. What did you see as key nutrients or, or, or what are the key nutrients that you need to build in your area when you're picking up new ground? Well, we see boron we need it every year. That's just part of the standard program. So it's not, you know, we're not just looking at N, P, and K. Uh, we get into boron, uh, and then we're looking at zinc, and uh, we'll look at copper. Well, <laughs> actually just a full, complete soil test, and then start looking at base saturations and parts per million and just start trying to balance it. You know, for our farm, I would say our base saturation challenge we've got, now sometimes we'll have acid soils and we'll need some lime, but for the most part, we've got high levels of magnesium, and that can be a challenge for us. How about for you? As you're, as you're looking at stuff, is it high calcium? Is it high magnesium? Which, which one is a stumbling block in your area? Uh, on our western farms, it's definitely the calcium. Then as we come east, it becomes magnesium. So we have multiple challenges. So we have to address our fertility differently. Uh, but we're just, the more, more we focus on just a balanced program, and uh, now that we've, you know, learned to get into the micros, be able to properly read a, a complete soil test, that has been invaluable for us. All right, fertilizer prices are high going into this year. What's your game plan? Are you cutting back on stuff, or are you still pouring the coals to it, shooting for high yields? Focus on ROI, and fertility is a proven ROI every year. Wet, dry, hot, cold. So uh, we are not backing off on fertility plans. Yeah, I think your first comment kind of said it all, that the, the ground where fertility was built up really paid off well this year. So hopefully hopefully that strategy keeps working going forward. I totally agree with you. That's exactly what we're doing, too. Uh, we're talking with Lee Luber, Siri Farms in Central South Dakota, works with the Extreme Ag Group. Lee, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Hey, anytime. You bet. I think Lee hit something else there, Brian, the complete test. And I know we, we see so many tests that come through here that are missing some of the key things. I, I just saw a test come through like a week ago. It had N, P, and K, and that was it. Yeah, that's what I was saying to start the show today is we really want to see a complete test. And when we do that, then we have a much better understanding of what your soil looks like in general and where you could best invest your fertilizer dollars. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we'll be right back after this. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. 
It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhem. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Hello, St. 2 Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about reading a soil test, and this is one of those skills. I know a lot of things that, that our grandparents taught us, a lot of things that our parents taught us. Nobody really taught us how to read a soil test as we were growing up, and it's a super important thing. We had uh, had relatives that were great mechanics. We had relatives that were great managing the business end of things, uh, great with agronomy stuff, but none of them were awesome at reading a soil test and always looking to somebody else to help, and that's something that Brian and I kind of took on that, man, this is something we have to understand if we want to raise great crops. And we're really only raising a few crops here. At the time growing up, we were raising corn and soybeans, wheat, oats and alfalfa and that's probably about it that I can think of and uh, now a lot of it is corn and soybeans with a little bit of wheat or oats here and there Uh, and maybe some alfalfa coming up this year again. Uh, Our friend Alan Perry up in Maine who is a consultant with the Farm Technologies Network works with a lot more crops than that. Uh, Alan thanks for joining us today. Hey, how are you guys? You know we're doing pretty good. We got harvest done early this year so we're kind of excited about that. 
Well, that's great. Uh, in Maine, uh, our potato crop was above average on yield in one of the few places in North America that has some extra potatoes. So uh, we're working hard to see if we can match up with some of the guys out Western uh, Canada and Western Maine, uh, uh, United States that are a little bit short. So we yeah. hope we can help some people out. Absolutely. Well, it's kind of nice now with, with uh, communication in this day and age, how we can move things around and, and find out about shortages as quickly as we can to, to get problems met. You know, when it comes to shortages, the other shortage people are talking about now is fertilizer of, man, it's hard to get fertilizer, it's expensive. So understanding exactly what we need for each acre is going to be really critical. Absolutely. And the soil test should be one of the farmer's best, cheapest, easiest tools to make sure you buy what you need and not just buy what somebody wants to sell. I love that you mentioned that it's cheap and easy. And I agree with you that you, when you look at the value, it's great. But for, for growers who don't understand necessarily how to read the test, if they're spending $30 or $50 a sample or whatever the cost may be, you start running a whole bunch of those. And now you're talking thousands of dollars you're going to have in testing. But man, it's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe millions that we're spending on fertilizer to, to spend just a few bucks to understand what we actually need. Seems like a pretty good investment to me. Well, it's really important. Uh, the, the sad part is it's awfully easy to put numbers on a piece of paper, but that doesn't help grow a crop. Uh, and as you said, the farmers got to learn how to make sense of those numbers. And there's a few easy things that we do. Uh, we have a soil test that we really like. I, I've been in a, in a number of countries, and I believe it's the best one in the world. But uh, if you're starting from scratch and are not sure, then, then test your soil sample uh, that's close by. Test your best field against your worst field. If the soil test numbers don't look any different, it's not a very good measurement. Oh, that's a good tip. Uh, we talk about that a lot with trying to determine why the good areas are good and the bad areas are bad. And, and you're right. If we send some samples in from a good area versus a bad area and it doesn't show you any difference, uh, that's not a very good tool for you. I agree with you. Have you found a book or a guide that people could pick up to learn more about this? Um, the, the, uh, the pathway that I took uh, when I uh, got involved with with the program I have now, uh, was done through a, a company called Acres USA. They have a, a book library. You may find a number of things besides soil tests that you like, but uh, hands-on agronomy uh, produced by Acres USA, and it's a, a book written by Neil Kinsey, uh, will go a long ways to explaining what a soil sample should be able to do for you. And if yours can't do that, uh, we have one that will. Yeah, I agree with you. It's an excellent book, and we recommend it and, and hand it out a lot. Uh, when you're looking at the soil test, where do you start, Alan? I, I know there's a lot of numbers on there, and sometimes it gets a little confusing, but, but are there a few things that you're going to read on that soil test that will get you started off anyway? I know what farmers are drawn to, and that's pH. Uh, and for me, I'm interested in it, but only later. Uh, the first thing I want to look at is the exchange capacity. I want to get a sense of the fields on my farm, and I actually print them out for my clients, uh, highest to lowest, uh, and so we can actually look down through and say, wow, all my problems seem to be in these fields that are either high or low or abnormal or whatever. I want to look and see how similar my fields are. Okay. 
That's a that's a good tip. When you look at the either total exchange capacity or some t- soil tests will say cation exchange capacity, that that right. may give you an idea. And you're that's a good way of looking at it. If you sort them out, you may find man the ones that are really high I'm struggling with, or the ones that I'm really low I'm struggling with, and and you can work from there. Okay, when we look at that, I know a lot of times you mentioned Neil Kinsey. He likes to talk about base saturation tests and calcium and magnesium. How important have you found that to be? If you don't have your calcium levels uh, uh, somewhere close to excellent, within 80% of excellent, you can't get the other minerals into the plant. The plant car- uh, Calcium carries other minerals into the plant. You can't be deficient. And magnesium is the center of the chlorophyll ion. We need at least 250 pounds of actual magnesium available to the crop per acre. And the only way we know how to do that is to measure it. Yeah, you mentioned those two big nutrients, calcium and magnesium now and, and some of the jobs. And, and I don't want this to get lost. Calcium gets minerals into the plant. So when we see soils that are really short in calcium, oftentimes we've got low pH soils and uh, growers say, man, what do I need to do here? Well, get some more calcium out there. That could be a good thing. But it could be the other way around, too, if you've got a real excess in magnesium or in sodium. How do you deal with some of those excesses? That seems to be a challenge that a lot of growers really struggle with. Yes, and it's it's a little more expensive. We're working uh, very hard on some onion garlic uh, producers in California, and their issue is too much sodium, uh, and it's in the water they use to irrigate with, and so it's very difficult for them to get away from that. Uh, the, the short, simple answer is you have to work on the deficiencies. You, you can't make the sodium go away in England. You can't make the calcium go away. In North Dakota, you can't make the magnesium go away, but you can't have deficiencies if you have an excess. So we concentrate on what they are, and then if we have to feed the plant with foliar, we'll do that. Okay, so rather than getting caught up in the excesses, just work on the deficiencies and start there. That's that's a good strategy and something that's a, a little more affordable to, to deal with, uh, at least on the front end here, until you get, get up to a certain point. Okay, so we got base saturation. we got exchange capacity. What are some other important things? If everybody wants to look at NP and K, where do they fall in your priority list? Well, we certainly are going to look at them first. Um, we've got to have phosphorus for energy. Uh, we've got to have enough nitrogen, but growers are generally not deficient in nitrogen. So that's usually, we don't, we, we try not to disrupt the nitrogen program too quickly. Uh, but the next thing I want to look at are the trace minerals, copper, zinc, and manganese. Uh, that's my disease control. It's the internal quality. It's the color, the storability, the, the efficiency of some of those NPK items come out of that and often is pretty neglected. Yes. Uh, one that we hear a lot about is boron that, oh man, I'm short in boron and I need to apply it every year. Are you just kind of stuck putting boron on every year? Is there any way around that? Um, <clears throat> I think the first thing you do is you draw a line uh, down through the center of the country, right down the Mississippi River. If you're farming west of the Mississippi, your boron levels are probably pretty adequate and it's not going to be a real problem for you. Uh, if anything, when you get to California, it's going to be a little excessive. Uh, but east of the Mississippi is where the real deficiencies are. It's water-soluble, and our soils don't have a lot to start with. So for, for many of them, yes, we're probably going to do that every year. Or in our case, a potato grain rotation, we concentrate on the potato crop. Uh, that's where more value is. 
and more damage if we don't get the amounts right. All right, Alan, uh, you gave us a lot to to feed on here. Where can where can our listeners find you? We get a lot of people after you're on the show. I say, man, that Alan guy's great. Where can I find more information about him? Uh, Farm Technologies Network, or you can go to uh, the uh, Kinsey website. Kinsey Ag Services has m- uh, me listed as a consultant there. Uh, but I'm here in northern Maine, and uh, uh, if you if they call your station, uh, Janelle probably can help them too. All right. Well, thank you so much, Alan. We really appreciate having you on. Thank you. We're talking about reading a soil test on today's program and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about reading a soil test today and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We often get people that say, would you look at my soil test if I send it to you? The answer is yes, we would. And that's a great way to do it. Just email it to us. If you want to follow up with a phone call and discuss it, we can certainly do that too. Uh, Brian, a lot of questions about nutrients, and this one comes in from Shane. So we're using your fertilizer removal app to figure out what we need for our sugar beets. When we look at the sugar beet top removal, we're unsure whether we should put in the yield goal for the tons of beets or the tons of tops. When we put in 40 tons for the yield goal, it says we'll remove 800 units of K. I'm guessing we'd need to estimate how many tons of tops we're shooting for and use that number, but just wanted a definitive answer from you. Okay, I would say I this. love it when I mute Brian yeah, here. Yeah, I was muted. <laughs> anyway, anyway. <laughs> got to figure that one out. <laughs> so what, what we typically talk about with people is the root, not the tops, because the tops just stay out in the field and decay. So it's kind of like for me when, I, I mean, when we aren't chopping silage, when all we're doing is taking the grain out of a cornfield and we harvest it for grain, we leave all the residue out there. So honestly, I don't even worry too much about the residue. I just care about, well, what did I literally remove from the field with the grain? Same kind of deal here. I don't care about the tops. I I mean, now, granted, if you're somehow taking those off the field, then you got to figure that. And a lot of guys, they might take a ton off the field or something, but it's really no big deal. So anyway, I, I would just say go to the sugar beet root and then in our app and then put in whatever you've got. I think in his example, he had 40 tons. So just plug in 40 tons. And then I, if I remember right off the top of my head, it was close to 300 pounds of K2O potassium. So yeah, that's a big removal. And this is one of the things where if you start getting big time yields, uh, a lot of the data that's out there is based on yields or tons or whatever from years ago, or it's based on averages. Well, I'm going to be really disappointed if I'm just average on my farm. I'm going for big time yields. And and let's take it one step further. Now I want you to think about if you are going for big time yields, what's the highest you see on a yield monitor if we're talking grain or what? what's the most, what are the most tons that you're pulling out for yeah, sugar where's, beets where's your where's your highest areas. level of success you're already achieving right and so we can't neglect those areas because those areas are yielding phenomenally well now we really have to put a lot of stuff back there but anyway 40 ton sugar beets 292 pounds of k2o potassium so you're on the math uh that's a lot of potassium so it's going to cost money to put that back now granted the sugar beet thing looks great financially today but I'm just saying, if you start putting on 600 pounds of potash just to replace what you've removed on a massive crop, well, 600 pounds of potash isn't cheap. All right, let's head to the phone lines here. We've got Tom with us right now in California. Tom, thanks for calling in. Well, thank you for taking my call. It's a common practice here in Northern California on wine grapes to put on between 250 and 500 pounds of SOP banded on top of the soil and not incorporated. My question is, how far does that potash actually move in the soil profile? Ooh, 
The cool thing is, Tom, you can 100% know that answer by just spending a few dollars on some soil testing. I'll show. I'll tell you something we did. We, we did something really interesting, and I'm not trying to dodge your question because Brian's going to try and give you a guesstimation here in his mind. But we did some testing on our farm where we actually went uh, – we did 12 inches of soil depth, and we tested each one inch going down just to see – what kind of stratification we had. And man, there was such a high percentage of our potassium that was in the top few inches. It was crazy, but we don't get much rainfall yeah. here. What's your annual rainfall? And we rainfall don't have like light here? soil. So how heavy is the you soil know, and how much rainfall? Go ahead. Sorry. Well, it's, it's on a class, most of it's class two. It's basically a clay type of soil that I'm in. But uh, rainfall around Sacramento is typically about 17, 18 inches a year. Yeah. Plus then the irrigation. Right, and plus everything's on drip. Right. Yep. After that. Right. So anyway, um, I well, first of all, SOP is sulfate of potash. So for our right. listeners who aren't familiar with that, that that's much more expensive typically for us, which is why we don't use it, and it has no chloride. Uh, so it's got a lot lower right. salt index. But anyway, uh, uh-huh. I, I would just say, is it going to move some? Yes. But in a heavy soil with not a lot of rainfall and all you have is drip irrigation, so it's not like it's a center pivot where it's irrigating literally all the soil, you're, sure. it's, it's not going to move down very far very fast. So that I, I'd say, sure, it's going to move some. But, you know, what you apply in the, at the soil surface, by the time it gets down six inches, it's going to take years and years, most likely. That's, that's my concern. All yep. right, thank you. I you appreciate bet. it. Yep, yep. Thanks for calling uh, in. Bye. You bet. Head bye. to the opposite end of the country here. We've got John with us over in Maryland. John, how are you doing? How are you guys doing today? Well, pretty good. We're talking about reading a soil test. It doesn't get much more fun than that. Uh, I'm telling you. <laughs> what can we do for you? So, um, I have been wondering about the, I know you guys came with that idea to put the seed, uh, straight up to where the tail shoots up. Isn't that correct? Yep. Now, okay. So here's what I came to. We want the tip of the corn seed down. Yep. This started almost. So the roots go straight down. This started almost 30 years ago in our seed lab. And when we were planting all the the tips down, we found more even and faster emergence in the seed lab. And so we started showing people the plants and talking about it and everything. And now there are some people that have actually been developing that. So yeah, it's something that might be on planters here in just the next few years. So we're super excited about that. And it was just kind of a fluke because we were planting plants for, I mean, when I say planting, just this is in the seed lab, keep in mind, but we were doing these for demonstration purposes so we could teach people how a plant actually grows and develops. And so people had live plants they could put in their hands. But anyway, go ahead. That's pretty awesome. And you guys created that, right? I mean, that was your, that was your contribution to the sciences, huh? <laughs> yeah. So we're, I'm not going to say we're real smart or anything else. It was kind of dumb luck how we stumbled upon that. But we just, we, as you know, we talk about everything, good or bad, what we're doing. And some people heard that and they're like, ooh, yeah. And, and actually, we had thrown it out there, too, for a long time saying, hey, this is a million-dollar idea or probably a hundred-million-dollar idea. If somebody can come up with this, we're not engineers or anything. But uh, but anyway, yeah, some people have worked on that, and it, it's sounding good. You had a really neat discovery. Um, the reason I'm asking is because um, I know you guys said emergence is better, 
and well, and, it's more um, more even if you can have that if you can have the kernels oriented the same direction, it's more even emergence. That's really what we mean. Right. So I guess my question comes down to that. So that plant, as and I've been throwing this idea to you guys, idea to you guys for a little bit about carbohydrate. But that plant yep. is obviously using a carbohydrate when it's in the seed form. That's where it's getting its energy, and whether it's burning or repurposing that carbohydrate is remained remains to be seen. But what I wanted to ask you about was when that plant, obviously it takes, if the seed is incorrectly, it's going to take less energy for the plant to reorient itself. So I was wondering if the plant not only is emergence better, but does the plant have, I guess, more vigor? Uh, I guess really what I'm asking is once the plant reaches sunlight, and begins to uh, begins photosynthesis. What happens to the rest of that energy in that seed? Does it get wasted? Does it get re- repurposed? Does the plant, as soon as it reaches photosynthesis, shut down its um, okay its, its use of sure. stored carbohydrate? Okay, so let me just say this: Darren and I are not plant physiologists, so I don't know. Yes. But I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I think. Um, I, I I believe it, it, the energy is going to get used somehow, some way for something. So if it takes less energy to get out of the ground, then you've got more energy to go into yield. And I can just tell you that the studies that have been done so far using this seed orientation method with a planter versus not. The yield is higher where we are using the seed orientation. Now, is that because the plant has more energy? Is it because the plants came up more even? I don't know the answer to that, but I do know it's leading to a little more yield. John, if you want to talk more, you can hang on here. We'll be right back. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, making claims of improving soil health and plant development. 
but which products will work best on your farm. Well, that's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 cornhead with automatic self-adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency. And the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more, return more with a Drago cornhead. For more information on Drago cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today talking soil tests, but right, for, right before the break we were speaking with John out in Maryland about, uh, well, seed orientation and carbohydrates in seed. John, what else did you have for questions for us? Yeah, so um, the, what, I'm, you know, what I'm really getting at with you guys and, and just something to think about, is that we have so much wasted sunlight energy and so much wasted yep. moisture and so much wasted everything. Yep. And, you know, I went up to the gym. I know this is, this is, but it really, it, let me lead into it. So I went up to the gym and I was talking to this guy who was gas. I said, man, how'd you get so big? And he said, well, I ate whole foods. Right. So I says, well, huh. Well, I'm a farmer and I don't eat breakfast and lunch this time of year and I really don't have time for all that. So then I got reading about it and read about supplements, right? Yep. And basically what a supplement does, it takes the place of a whole food. And basically when we have a corn plant, I mean, basically a weightlifter is trying to build cellular tissue, right? And he's giving his body what it needs to build this cellular tissue. And that's what we're doing with the corn plant. So then I said, okay, well, just like our plant, when it doesn't get enough water, it doesn't get enough fertilizer. And when it doesn't get enough fertilizer, it can't grow the cellular tissue. Correct. Well, then I said, what I'm really trying to do here, and what for your listeners who don't know, I'm, what I'm looking at is, is p- potentially putting a root in the ground with carbohydrates, fats, proteins, uh, uh, vitamins, energy, moisture, anything that that plant could need in order to supplement a primary crop. So what I'm really looking at trying to do is look at the potential for a supplemental crop. And, and uh, you know, I just, I don't know if there's any potential there or what the potential is, but I do know that once we hit senescence and once the leaves start falling off the soybeans, I can see my shoes on the ground pretty good. I can tie my shoes on the ground. And that's a lot of wasted sunlight. If I can see my shoes, there's sunlight there. And so, and, and, and not only that, all that humidity that we're losing, and if we could get it out to flowering when we really need it, that would be the primary time to get these supplements 
to a crop in order to build the grain tissue, if you will. So just, uh, I just don't know if there's any potential there and what you guys think about that. Well, I would just say this, lots and lots and lots of companies are working on exactly what you're talking about. It's just they're maybe taking one or two things along with it and trying different methods of getting it out there. So the difference is when you talk about one weightlifter who can, I mean, he can spend a lot of money. It's all on him. When we're out in our field, we have thousands, if not tens of thousands, or even hundreds of thousands of plants per acre. And so when you start thinking about, uh uh-oh, if I got to spend even 10 cents per plant, um, it gets astronomically high and we can't justify it. So there's that side of things too, that as farmers, we have to, at the end of the day, make money. Otherwise, we're just wasting our time. And we don't have good enough things to uh, completely explode that yield so every acre can make a thousand bushels of corn or anything like that. Is it possible someday? Sure, I believe that it is. We're right. we're just we're not we're not there yet. We just have to keep experimenting and doing research and everything else. But one of the interesting things that you brought up there is, okay, you got to have water to get fertilizer into the plant, and this is something we talk about a lot. We farm in drier in one of the drier areas in the United States. Now, not the driest or anything like that. We do get twenty to twenty four inches of total annual precip on average, but over the last year we've had about fifteen. That's it, maybe seventeen. And we still turned out with really, really good yields. Part of the reason why is because we have to increase the concentration of fertilizer. That's one of the reasons why we talk so much about potassium. When you look at the nutrient removal charts, like with corn, potassium is number one. Not nitrogen, not phosphorus. It's potassium. And so we want that potassium concentration really high. The people this year that didn't have their potassium levels and I'm not talking high. I'm talking really high. When they didn't have their right. potassium levels really high, wind came along, crop blew down. Why? Because, I mean, you've got to, uh, the potassium is going to go first to yield, secondarily to stock. Well, if you don't have enough for yield and stock, then you end up with a lot more lodging problems. So this is why we talk so much about the percentage of K as opposed to just pounds per acre or anything like that. So anyway, I know I'm getting down in the weeds here. And for our listeners, um, you know, hopefully you can kind of understand what we're talking about. And it's exactly what John is getting at. It's just, you know, a little bit different terminology and everything when he's bringing up fats and vitamins and stuff like that. We don't talk about that hardly ever here on Ag PhD or with crops at all, but it's the same basic principle. We're just looking to get more food somehow into that plant so it can produce more yield for us all the time. And to your point, John, we want to use that sunlight energy. We all know, I mean, that's where our energy is coming from with the plants and photosynthesis. And so that's why we like shading the ground out better. But, you know, we also have varieties that don't shade the ground out as well, but they're able to yield the same. And so... There's this constant debate between breeding and we got to figure out, okay, how do we control diseases? When we have a thick stand, we have more disease. And so there, there's just, there's a lot to it. So it may sound simple in the beginning, but it's unbelievably complicated in the end to try to end up with more yield on the same acre. All right. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, I appreciate you. Your input, man. I just, you know, 
just throw an idea at you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep, we're, we're always open for ideas. Keep thinking, John, and uh, yep, we'll, we'll continue trying to help uh, get more yield out there. Hey, I appreciate it. I really love y'all's show. And, Thanks. And, uh, and I've learned, man, this is just, it's a fantastic resource. Thank you so much. You bet. Yeah, thanks. And what John's talking about there in terms of the learning, we, we really appreciate that. That's what we're trying to do every day. Darren and I farm also. We have our whole lives. And just, I, I just have found in my life a lot of things get so complicated. Even like if you look at a normal soil test, it looks complicated, but it's not that bad. You just have to, with everything you're doing in life, try to break it down, take it one little step at a time. And, you know, if all I'm looking at is one little thing on the soil test and I just have maybe a couple conversions or whatever and under a better understanding of what level should I be at, well, that's not so hard, right? And you just take one thing at a time and then you move on. Don't get overwhelmed. Just go slow, go through it. And once you get some practice at it, so like for Darren and me, we've ridden, we've, we have read tens of thousands of soil tests now over the years. It's not that bad, but I can promise you I didn't learn it in college. I didn't learn it from my dad. I didn't learn it from my grandpa. I didn't learn it from uh, – I didn't learn it until I was well into my 20s. So it doesn't matter what you've had for background or education or how many degrees you have. I don't care. Anybody can figure out how to read a soil test because, in my opinion, it's the most important data for your farm. It's number one. And if you look at the price of fertilizer today, hopefully you'll agree with me on that. But, you know, I just think about our farm. Over the years, you know, probably over the last 10 years, I'd say we've invested on average over half a million dollars a year on fertilizer. You think about that, half a million bucks. So in 10 years, that's $5 million. If you don't know how to read a soil test and you're going to invest $5 million, well, how are you going to do that when you don't know how to read the soil test? What are you going to do? You're going to totally trust somebody else. Okay. Now that somebody else might be pretty good, but who's going to care more about your land, you or anybody else? Probably you. So we just really encourage you, please learn how to read a soil test. Come to our, our free soils clinic that we've got coming up this winter. It's uh, middle of January. It's a couple of day seminar. Uh, right, right on our farm at the Morton Center at the field at our Ag PhD Field Day site, and we have a, a phenomenal facility. We can hold a thousand farmers all at one shot, and we've got the restrooms and everything else. You'll, you'll get a great meal, but it's free. And we do this because we care about you and we want you to succeed on your farm. But if you don't know how to read a soil test and you don't know where to best invest your fertilizer dollars, you're not going to get ahead. You're not. You're going to be spinning your wheels and you're going to have corn falling down and you're going to have subpar yield and you're going to go, oh, I don't know what's going on. Most of the time it's fertility. We talk drainage, but then we talk fertility right after that. Fertility is the next important thing, next most important thing on the farm after drainage. It's way more important than picking varieties. And think about how much time you spend picking varieties or trying to shop around and find the cheapest roundup price. Spend some time learning how to read a soil test. It will absolutely pay off big time. And then you can teach that to your kids and grandkids as well. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.